Welcome to 30 Minutes Towards Victory. Hi, I'm Greg Marcus. I'm the pastor of Imperial Vibe Christian Center. This is the TV program or TV ministry of Imperial Vibe Christian Center. We call it 30 Minutes Towards Victory because that's our purpose as a church is to help you to experience the victory in life that God wants you to have. We hope that with this, or we expect that with this program, we're moving you in the direction of experiencing the victory in life in every area of your life that God wants you to have. God wants it to go well with you in life. God wants it to go well with you in life. God wants it to go well with you in life. God wants you to have a good life. And so do we at Imperial Valley Christian Center. Before I get started, let me say this. Listen, if you're not going to church and you're interested in growing and developing, learning more about the Word of God, you want to become what God has created you to become, you want to learn what belongs to you, you want to learn more about the Bible, you want to grow up on the inside spiritually, I want to invite you to Imperial Valley Christian Center, Sunday mornings at 9.30 at Southwest High School in El Centro. Sunday mornings, 9.30, Southwest High School in El Centro. We have tremendous, marvelous children's services. We have great praise and worship. We have a really good, fun time. You'll enjoy it. You'll have a good time. You'll grow. You'll develop. You'll learn to receive the things that God has created for you, and you'll learn to become the things that God has created you to become. Sunday mornings, 9.30, Southwest High School. I'd really like to see you there. Okay, right now we're on the subject of what is the purpose of Christianity. What is the purpose of Christianity? We've been looking at it different ways, and right now we've been looking at this point that Jesus came to the earth to become king of the earth. He became king in place of Satan, who before Jesus came was king of the earth. So Satan, Jesus became king so that he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. He says that to them after he has risen from the dead. Then we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus is reigning on the earth. The Bible says he's reigning until he puts all enemies under the feet of God. The Bible says that he must reign till he has conquered all power, all authority, and all those things that are opposed to God reigning in the lives of people. And we saw that those weren't human things. He's not talking about human powers or human authorities, but he's talking about these demonic things, these demonic authorities. Satan, he was the king before Jesus came. He's talking about Satan and his guys who want to hold on to their reign in the lives of people, even though Jesus has deposed them and he is the lawful, rightful, authoritative king of the earth. Satan wants to hold on to his reign and authority. He still is opposing God. And so Jesus, the Bible says Jesus must reign until he's put all those guys under his feet. And for the past several weeks, we've been on this subject is that Jesus reigns. He does that reigning. He's reigning. He's putting down all authority, power, the Bible says. He does that putting down, that conquering through the church, the body of Christ, what we call Christians. That's how he reigns upon the earth. Jesus reigns on the earth through Christians. Jesus has given his body, the Christians, the church, authority to rule and reign on the earth, to 
put down, to conquer all those authorities, to put those enemies under the feet of God. And we've been looking at those scriptures for a number of weeks. And last week we began focusing on this one scripture from Ephesians chapter 1. And it's going to take me a little while, so I, I, I want to go into depth into it because it's, it's a little bit long and requires a little bit of explanation. But when you see it, it's going to bless you tremendously. You're going to see that you as a, as a Christian have been given authority to rule and reign upon the earth. But before we get to that, I want to go over these scriptures that we've been looking at. I just want to go over them real quick uh, without much commentary in hopes that they'll get down into your heart. And you'll see that Jesus has given you authority to rule and reign upon the earth. Jesus has given you as a Christian authority to rule and reign upon the earth. In verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, it says this, And the seventy returned again with joy. These were the seventy disciples Jesus had sent out with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. It says power in the King James, but literally it should be translated authority. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Jesus has given his disciples authority over all the power of the enemy. There's an enemy. That enemy has power. But the good news is Jesus has given his disciples authority, the right to reign and rule over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. He finishes off saying. Then we saw basically the same statement with different examples in Mark chapter 16 where Jesus says this, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any th deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So Jesus is giving authority to cast out demons. In, his, in my name shall they cast out devils. Jesus is giving believers, not the apostles, not super saints, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. He's given them authority to rule and reign over the enemy. Then we saw in Revelations chapter 12, Revelations chapter 12, that Satan had been cast out of his authority of rulership. And as a result of his being cast out, we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame him. Who overcame him? Those brethren, those Christians. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. When Satan is cast out of his position of authority, that's when salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ shows up in the lives of people. That's what Jesus told his disciples to do. He said, when you go out and preach, go preach to the people, heal their sick, and when you get them healed, say unto them, the kingdom of God has come. Can you see how when they cast the demon out, when they heal the sickness, which the Bible calls oppression of the devil, that now Satan is no longer reigning and ruling in their lives. He's no longer the king over their life. So Jesus said, tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the same thing that's going on here in this, in this verse. Now has come salvation and strength, the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast out. When he's cast out, that's when those things show up. That's when the kingdom of God is there. That's what it means for the kingdom of God to be there. Who did this casting out? The brethren. 
They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Revelations chapter 5. And verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. This is to Jesus. They're singing this song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us. Who's us? These people that have been redeemed to God out of every kindred and people and tongue and nation. Redeemed by Jesus' blood to God out of every, in other words, the Christians. Right? And, I, and it says here, and has made us. And who? Us, the Christians. And has made us Christians unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And we shall reign. Jesus reigns on the earth through the church, through his body, through the Christians. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And we looked at a couple more scriptures, but I don't want to get to them right now. I want to get over here to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and I want you to see what's going on here in this passage of scripture. I want you to see what God has called you as a Christian to be, what it means to be a Christian, what's the purpose of you being a Christian, what has happened to you as a result of you becoming a Christian, what did God do to you when he made you a Christian is the way you could put it. What did God do to you when he made you a Christian? And we saw here in Ephesians chapter 1 when we began looking at this last week that the Apostle Paul is praying this prayer in the book of Ephesians for the Christians who live in the city of Ephesus which was in, in the Roman Empire, a city in the Roman Empire. There were Christians there. And he says that he prays for them this prayer all the time. And I explained to you that the, the founder of our Bible school, where Becky and I went to Bible school, Kenneth Hagan, that he said, he recommended that Christians should pray this prayer for themselves. And off and on, I would do that over the years. But a, a few years back, I began praying this prayer to myself on a regular basis, all the time. I mean, literally thousands of times, you know, one or two, three thousand times. I'd pray, I'd pray it in the morning, I'd pray it at night, I'd pray it as I'm walking around. I'd pray it in five, ten, fifteen, twenty times in a row, trying to get it into my heart. I just kind of became focused on that, and I'm praying this prayer, and praying this prayer, and praying this prayer. And as I'm praying it, I began to see what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And if you'll begin praying that prayer for yourself, if you'll begin praying that prayer for your family, that they would know these things. If you begin praying that prayer for your children, it's going to affect a change in their lives. Hallelujah. Look here. I see verse 16, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Right? Okay, so now he's going to tell us what the prayer is. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. So he's praying that God would give uh, them the spirit of wisdom, or us the spirit of wisdom, and revelation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of him. He wants us to know something. He's praying that God would give us this spirit of wisdom, this spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him, the, uh, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He's saying the same thing. The eyes, I pray that God would cause the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened that you may know. 
So the first part of the prayers is Paul is praying that God would cause these people to know something. God is, Paul is praying that God would cause these people to know something. Paul is praying that God would cause these people to know something. Now, I always like to stop there and say this. Why didn't Paul just tell them what he wanted them to know? Why is Paul praying that God would give them this spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the eyes of their understanding, so that they can know? Why didn't he just tell them? Why didn't he just, because he is telling them, he's going to tell them in the next few scriptures, but you won't understand it with this mind. You won't grasp it with your brainiacal faculties. Hallelujah. You got to get it in your heart. And that's what he's praying. He's praying that they would get it down in here. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of it. So you got to know it in here. And that's what praying it over and over and over and over. I came to know what he was talking about down in here. And if you'll do that, you will too. Begin praying this prayer for yourself over and over. And at first, it may, you may not even understand what you're praying. But as you pray it more, you'll begin to understand the words. And as you come to understand the words, they'll start getting down into your heart. And you'll go, oh, that's what he's saying. Hallelujah. Now, I want to explain to you what he's saying. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. What do you want us to know, Paul? What is the hope of his calling? Now, that phrase doesn't make much sense to us. But what you need to see is that God has called us. And his calling has a hope to it, Paul is saying. But we would say in modern language, we would say the purpose or the goal or the reason that he has called us. What is the purpose of his calling? What is the goal of his calling? What is the reason for his calling? What has he called us to be, to become? What is the end state of his calling? He's called us to what has he called us. He has called us what has he called us to be. He has called us what is he trying to do with us that he has called us? What is the end state? What's the purpose? What's the goal of his calling? He's praying that God would give them the spirit of wisdom so they could know what is the purpose of it. What's the reason that he has called? What is, the end? What is his goal in calling? What is he creating in us in calling us? Hallelujah. What is the hope of his calling? He's praying that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, when we read that in English, we kind of think he's talking about the same thing. But here he's going to repeat the same idea with different words three times. This is the second time. The first time he said it, you know, what is the hope of his calling? I mean, what's the purpose? What's the re to what end? Has God called us? What's the end state of his calling? What is he hoping to create? What is he expecting to create in us? To create us to be by his calling. Now he's going to use it, slight, say the same idea in slightly different words. What is, and what is the exceeding great, no, I'm sorry, I skipped one. What is the hope of his, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance 
in the saints. What is the riches of the glory? So this thing that he's called, it's a glorious thing. It's not just glorious. It's what it, he wants us to know what is the riches of the glory. So it's not just glory. It's what is the riches of the glory. What is the tremendous amount of glory? What is this abundant, this overflowing amount of glory? What is this tremendous amount of glory of what? Of his, God's inheritance in the saints. In other words, what is the tremendous thing that happens to us as a result of God calling us, of God's inheritance? What is he received his inheritance in the saints. He's called us to be Christians. What do we become to him? Well, he doesn't tell us yet, but it is something that is the riches of the glory. It's something glorious. Most Christians kind of think that God has called us to be a little worm, that God has called us to be a gnat, that God has called us to be a flea on the backside of a dog, that God has called us to be worms crawling in the ground. But look what Paul wants us to know. He's praying that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we can know what is the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the same. He's, he's called us to be saints. He's called us to be Christians. He has called us. Hallelujah. And to what end? What is the end state? What is it he's created us to be? What is the riches of the glory of that? He wants us to know what a glorious, fantastic, awesome, unspeakable, wonderful, great thing that God has created us to be as Christians. Most Christians think that God has called us to be worms, to be nothing. But Paul wants us to know that God has called us to the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Oh, it's a glorious thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's not just glorious. It's the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The eyes of your understanding that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, he's going to say the same thing with different words now. What, what does he want us to know? What is it that we are as Christians? What is God? He's called us to be something as Christians. He's inherit, God inherits some glorious, rich and glory thing by us becoming Christians. He's going to say the same thing in different words. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? When I used to read that, I think he was saying, well, in other words, it's the exceeding greatness of his power. Like when we pray for something, what a power is available to us who believe. But that's not what he's saying. He's talking about to those of us who are Christians, he wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power, of his power that he used towards us when we became Christians. He wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness not just what is the power that he adds towards us, but what is the exceeding greatness. It's not just greatness of power. It's not just power. It's not just greatness of power. It's exceeding greatness of power to us who believe. When we became Christians, we were 
beneficiaries of this exceeding greatness of power that did something to us, that caused us to become something. And Paul wants us to see what that is. And now he, want, and now he begins to compare that exceeding greatness of power to something else. Who believe according to, when we read according to, I don't know about you guys, but it doesn't make much sense to me. So I looked it up in the dictionary one time, and according to means in conformity with or in proportion to. In other words, according to means he's going to compare the power that God worked in us, that God used toward us, the power that God worked in us when we became Christians he's going to compare it to something else according to the working of his mighty power this power and he wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe and now he's going to tell us that this power is like the working of his mighty power let me stop there for a second that word working, mighty, and power are all three Greek words for power. So I like the way one man put it. He put it this way. He said, according to the power of his power of his power. In other words, he's saying what God wrought in us involved exceeding greatness of power. What God wrought in you when you became a Christian, you may think you're a worm. You may think you're a nothing. The institutional church has told you over and over again that you're a worm and a nothing so they can keep you under their control, so they can keep you coming to church. Hallelujah. The church has told you that you're a worm and a nothing, but the apostle Paul is praying that you can know what is this exceeding greatness. It's not just power. It's not just great power. It's exceeding greatness of power that happened to you when you became a Christian. And now he's telling us it's like this. It's like the power of God's power, of God's power. In other words, it's involving a lot of power. Power of his power, of his power, which is like according to the working of his mighty power. He's about to tell us what it's like. It's like this. It's like the working, what has happened to you. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who have accepted Christ. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who have become Christians. The tremendous, more than greatness of his power which he worked in us who became Christians is like, is like the working of his mighty power which he's about to tell us. is like working the power of his power. Lots of power going on in that verse. He's talking about tremendous power that went into making you a Christian. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was a tremendous amount of power expended in making you a Christian. There was a tremendous... You're not a worm. Christians are not worms. God expended a tremendous amount of his power, of his power, of his power... In making you a Christian. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Can you see why he calls it the glorious, God's glorious inheritance in the same? He's spending a power of his power of his power in making you a Christian. Can you see why the apostle Paul calls it? He said, um, the hope of his calling, or you may know what he's called you to be. What is his, the glory of what God has created us to be? What is the tremendous power of his power of his power, which worked towards us, which caused something to happen in us, which did something in us. God did this tremendous, powerful thing. I like to put it this way. There was more power involved in making you a Christian than in the creation of the universe. God expended more power in making you a Christian. Oh, can you see what a glorious thing it is to be a Christian? Can you see what an awesome thing it is to be a Christian? Can you see what a tremendous, glorious, exceeding glorious, exceeding riches of glorious thing it is to become a Christian? So now he's going to compare it to something. He says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to, or that power is like the working of his mighty power. It's like when the power he used to make us Christians is like, it's in proportion to, it's comparable to, it's according to the power of his power, of the working of his mighty power, Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ. Listen, what has happened to you is like what he wrought in Christ. What has happened to you in becoming a Christian, the power that's been expended to you, the, what you have become, the glorious, the riches of the glory of his inheritance is the same. The purpose of your calling is like, it's like what he wrought in Christ. Oh, it's like what he wrought in Christ. What he wrought in Christ has happened to you. Hallelujah. What he did for Jesus has happened to you, the believer. Listen, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly. So he's saying that power that has been expended to make you a Christian is like, is just like the power it's just like the power that god used when he raised christ from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenlies far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet he's given him authority over all things he's made him the king He's made Jesus the king and hath put all, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. And here's the part I like to stop at. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, the body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. We, the Christians, are the fullness of Christ. We're the completeness of Christ. We're the fullness of Christ. Without us, Christ is not complete. 
Without us, there is no fullness to Christ. Christ needs the body. Christ needs the Christians, hallelujah, to rule and reign. He's been seated at the right hand of God, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also and has put all things in it and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He gave him the head to us. Not the head over the church, the head over all things to the church, which is his body. He works through his body, which is the fullness of him. We are the fullness of Christ. Without us, Christ has no fullness. We are the completion of Christ. Without us, Christ is incomplete. Hallelujah. The, the fullness of him, which filleth all in all. Look at the next verse. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and skin. And I'm out of time, so I want to skip down to verse, verse, um, hallelujah, verse uh, 5. Even Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, he's still talking about the same thing. Even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us, that means made us alive. Quickened means made us, like we say, cut to the quick. We mean cut to the part that hurts. You know, I cut myself to the quick. means I cut myself to the living part. And so it says here in the King James, he says, and has, it says, even when we were dead and sins, has quickened us, has made us alive together with Christ. We were made alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. God has raised us up together and made us sit together. Together with who? God has raised us up together and made us sit together. Together with who? Together with Christ. We are seated with Christ. Don't you see that he used that same power when he raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand? He's used that same power for you, Christian. When you became a Christian, he raised you from the dead and hath raised us up together, even when we were dead in sins and hath quickened us together along with Christ by grace you are saved, verse, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Where is Jesus seated? Find out where Jesus is seated and you'll know where you as a Christian are seated. Find out where, because he raised us up together and made us sit together with Christ. We're seated with Christ, along with Christ. He raised us up, he raised Christ up, set him at his own right hand. He's raised us up and seated us with Christ. Where is Christ seated? far above all principality and power and name that is named, both in this world and that which is to come. Where are you seated? With Christ. He raised us up together with Christ. Where are you seated? Far above all principality and power and name that is named, both in this world and that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, 
All things are under our feet. All things are under your feet, Christian. It's a tremendous thing that has happened to you, becoming a Christian. It's a glorious riches of his glory, power of his power of his power thing that has happened where you have been raised from the dead by accepting. You have been raised from the dead. You have been seated at the right hand of God with Christ, far above all principality and power and authority and name that is named, both in this world and that, and hath put all things under your feet. Jesus reigns on the earth through the church. Unfortunately, I'm out of time, but I'm not finished. Come back next week. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.